This podcast contains descriptions of war zones. Listener discretion is advised. This is Anthems. Hello, my name is Freddie McConnell. Your word of the day is future. In 2011, I was living in the Afghan capital, Kabul, working for a children's charity. On a warm afternoon in September, Taliban fighters occupied a high-rise building site about a mile and a half from our offices. They lugged guns and rocket launchers to the top, and from there, they launched an attack on the US embassy and the NATO headquarters. The whole city froze. As allied forces began to respond with their own weapons, the noise was deafening. Buildings shook, and we worried it would get closer. We had dozens of kids on site, some as young as six. After about an hour, a small group of teenagers made for the exit. Kojamiri, where are you going? You have to stay here. But we have exams, they replied, smiling at our panic. It's important. My foreign colleagues and I were stunned, but we knew we couldn't stop them. They left on bikes, finding ways around roadblocks, both real and metaphorical. In future, it will be up to them to rebuild their country, and they are determined that nothing will stand in their way. The attack went on through the night. Roads were closed, so we slept under our desks. Nine years on, the thing I remember most clearly from that day isn't the explosions. It's those kids and their optimism. Whenever I feel gloomy about the future, like right now, for example, with trans equality in the UK, I remember their smiling faces. If Afghan teenagers can maintain such hope, so can I. I began transitioning eight years ago. My documents have listed my sex as male for seven. Three years ago, I followed in the footsteps of hundreds, possibly thousands of trans men the world over by deciding to carry and give birth to my own child. It just seemed like the simplest and safest way to start the family I'd always wanted. Men like me often call ourselves seahorse dads. With seahorses, it's the males who receive the egg from their female partner. The fathers fertilize and gestate their babies before giving birth. Seahorse dads have big bellies and look amazing. When I had a pregnant belly, it looked like a beer belly. No stranger ever read me as a pregnant man. I was just a man with most of that privilege. My presentation, my facial hair and a deep voice, it kept me safe. I struggled every day on the inside. The dysphoria was almost unbearable, but I could go about the world in peace. So weirdly, I struggled to reconcile my experience with what I hope for in future. I dream of a future where pregnancy is purely a personal choice for trans men, not one that threatens their personal or legal identities or their safety. I hope that doctors will stop telling us that medical transition makes us infertile, as if it's simply black and white. I hope young trans people and their cis peers, especially boys, understand all their family planning options, free from judgment and stereotypes. And yet, in a big way, people
people's ignorance about trans pregnancy made being pregnant much easier. I wouldn't have traded my invisibility for anything, and I wouldn't wish it away from anyone else. Whenever I feel stuck between wishing for a brighter future and the urge to just hide forever, I remind myself that we didn't bring this on ourselves. In 2014, Time magazine ran their fateful cover story, The Transgender Tipping Point. And then? They probably didn't think society would respond as harshly as it has, teaching trans folk everywhere that visibility is at very best a double-edged sword. One thing I've always been sure of is wanting to be a parent. After struggling to start my family, I firmly believe that no matter how someone chooses to have kids or not have them, that decision is valid. And that's still true during a pandemic or a climate crisis. We often hear overpopulation cited as, quote, the biggest problem facing the planet. But we rarely hear anyone explain how this theory is pretty much just racism and capitalism in disguise. And anyway, debating personal choice ignores the reality, which is that people will have kids, no matter what. We always have, and we always will. And to me, this feels intuitively like a good thing, like potential. Young people are amazing. Explain any kind of human variation to a child, trans people for instance. Then explain that some people don't like trans people because they're different. The child will let you know just how foolish this is. Of course, kids grow up, and we tend to get more conservative with age. History repeats itself. But it isn't identical. Big change happens slowly. And almost everything about the future, the lives of future generations, is up for winning, not just losing. What gives me hope above all is, let's face it, queer families, and the queerer future they herald. By that, I mean queer families of choice with no kids, and queer families with queer parents, or queer kids, or both. We're not perfect. We won't create utopia. But it's not about that. It's about knowing how to organize, how to speak truth to power, how to learn, heal, share, how to have compassion and empathy. Ultimately, it's about knowing how to survive together. These are the things I'll try to teach my kids. And this is why, however they're made, I think the future needs more families, not less. The queerer, the better. Future, noun, time that is yet to come. If you've been affected by the themes in this podcast, check out the episode description for information, resources and support lines.